guardian angels and patron saints. Pray for us. Well, all this talk of coming in first reminds me, of course, that uh, we had our priest baseball competition over the weekend. Uh, thanks to those of you who came out in support of vocations here in the metro area. I'm, I'm sad to say we, we, we didn't capture the trophy this year. Uh, it was nonetheless a very good game. We lost, I think, just by one run, 15 to 14. So um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a old guy game out there. We, it's more like a t-ball game maybe than a <laughs> real baseball game, but we have fun and it's just a reminder to me that uh, I need to be a little more active because I can, I can barely move today. I can't, I can't genuflect uh, without wincing and trying to move around is just painful. So um, just a, a nice reminder that, you know, you've got to stay active. Can't be sedentary all the time. So hopefully next year we'll be a little more prepared and can and can recapture the trophy. So today, there's some very challenging scriptures for us to ponder because our Lord is speaking about this cup that he has to drink and his disciples want to drink it, drink it along with him. Our readings from the prophets also speak of Jesus taking on this this role of the Messiah as one who suffers on behalf of many. And his suffering brings righteousness and salvation, justification, the bearing of guilt. Christ gives his life as an offering for sin. We believe, as St. Paul says, that our high priest who bears our guilt has been tested like us in every way. He knows our weaknesses because he is one of us. He feels our human frailty. But he does so without sin. This presents a, a problem for us. At least it presented a problem to me when I was a seminarian studying how to understand what, what makes sense of this idea that Christ being sinless and being God underwent this great punishment, this great suffering. And why it is that because he was God and because he was all-powerful and because he was all-knowing, why that didn't make it easier for him? It came up as a question in my, in my seminary studies, and I, this was, a, this was a, an issue, a, a matter that, that became uh, something that I returned to again and again, and eventually a light came on for me. Why is it, this was my, my line of thinking, and, and that of many of my, my uh, classmates, why is it that Jesus being God, and therefore being all-powerful and all-knowing, didn't have uh, something like uh, an easier time of it? knowing all along that he would, of course, be resurrected from the dead, that his death was not final. Knowing all along what heaven would be with the divine vision. Why is it that someone who was all-powerful and knowing he could have ended that at any moment by an exercise of his infinite power didn't provide him some kind of relief? 
And why is it then, too, that Jesus, being God, couldn't sin? Why is it that in that scenario that his faithfulness to God is valuable if he couldn't do otherwise? Wouldn't it have been more valuable, more valuable, more of a sacrifice if he himself didn't have those certainties, didn't have that knowledge, and could have failed at any moment along the way? Oftentimes, when we think of it in those terms, it can, it can feel as if Jesus is a million miles away and has very little to say or offer me, afflicted as I am by weakness, ignorance, lack of faith, lack of courage. Of course, that's not the case. It's not the case that Jesus' nature as God, as, an, as the incarnate second person of the Holy Trinity, made it easier for him. In fact, his suffering was infinitely greater than you or I would have been able to suffer. And his faithfulness was infinitely more valuable than that of a mere human being. And here's why. Sin is an escape. Think of it as a little pressure valve or a ripcord or ejection seat or escape hatch out of situations that we find unbearable. That's what sin is. The righteousness of God's will is before us. We find that too fearful, too intimidating, too heavy a burden. And so we turn aside. We turn aside into sin, into disobedience. This is what sin was at the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And this is what every subsequent sin has been since then. It's an escape hatch, you know? Don't you experience it that way? Why do we sin? We're afraid. We're afraid of what will happen if we continue on obedient to God. Now that takes so many, so many different forms, doesn't it? I could list off any number of different fears and anxieties. One of them, I think, that shows up a lot is fear of scarcity. Fear of not having enough. If I do as God wishes with my life, if I remain faithful to him, put him first and at the center, that will require sacrificing other things that perhaps could make my life more comfortable, more secure. And those things are good so far as they go, but when they get into competition with my faithfulness, what happens? Well, I sacrifice the good of my obedience to God and I, I turn aside in pursuit of material things. That fear is everywhere. So many circumstances where we feel I, I don't have the capacity to go with less or to go without. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what will happen to me. So too, there's a great fear of loneliness. There's a great fear of loneliness. Sure, there's loneliness in the world, but I, I think there's vastly more fear of loneliness in the world. In fact, what happens is 
when I consider my future and what will happen if I don't have someone there with me, either uh, a, a romantic involvement or relationship or even just friends, right? I start to think about how heavy my life will become. And so I find myself doing things and spending time with people that I know aren't good for me, that, that lead me in a direction I know I'm not supposed to go. I make sacrifices of the things that I hold to be true in the name of fellowship. I see this particularly among the young. We know young people, we ourselves, we're especially susceptible to that temptation, right? No one wants to be lonely. No one wants to be friendless. And so we find ourselves doing things and spending our time and activities in ways that don't honor God or that put God in competition with my social life. That happens especially in romantic situations, romantic relationships. I feel the clock ticking. When am I going to get married? Who am I going to find? Well, sure, I've got my preferences and my ideals, but then somebody comes along and suddenly I find myself making compromises in ways that I, I never wanted to, but I feel are necessary because I don't want to be alone. You see, all these things are fears. They're fears that draw us out of faithfulness to God. And in these situations, what we need is fortitude. We have to pray for the gift of fortitude. God answers our prayers when we ask him to have mercy on us. Lord, as we prayed in the psalm today, let your mercy be upon us as we place our trust in you. And God will... God will answer those prayers when we ask for mercy. And sometimes that prayer will take, the, that answer to that prayer will take the form of, of having some burden lifted, some suffering relieved. But other times that answer will come in the form of courage and fortitude to persevere through this, the difficulty that I'm, that I'm facing. Let us confidently approach the throne of grace says the letter to the Hebrews, to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. Fortitude. Help me persevere. Help me not turn aside from your will, Lord, but in these difficulties, to remain faithful. That's an answer to prayer. God gives that grace abundantly. Are we ready to receive it? Or do we allow fear to dominate us? Do we rationalize our departures from God's will? Do we rationalize our sins by saying, but I'm afraid? Let us confidently approach the throne of grace, if that is so, to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. And so... Jesus didn't have that escape hatch, did he? He couldn't flee into sin to relieve his fear. Oh, and he felt it, believe me. He felt that fear. Remember the agony in the garden where he sweat drops of blood, contemplating what was about to happen to him. Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done only yours.
And we as, we as his disciples, like those in the gospel today, ask for the privilege of drinking that cup along with him, of remaining faithful in the midst of suffering, completely handed over to the will of our Father, confident that he sustains us in our time of need. God answered Jesus' prayer. He gave him the fortitude to persevere through the passion, through the humiliation, and through his own death. God will answer our prayer as well. I gave this illustration last night as a way of maybe approaching it from a different angle. I want to relate an, uh, an incident that never actually happened, but that fleshes out a little bit about what it means to remain faithful under the burdens that, that God's will and faithfulness to God's will lay upon us. I'm thinking of a particular story, uh, one, of the, one of the great stories by Victor Hugo, in which he tells the story of the life of Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. How many of you have seen that play or heard that musical or watched that film? Yes? How many of you have read the novel on which that's based? Old school. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thick one. But it tells the story of this man, Jean Valjean, who was imprisoned, as many of you know, imprisoned for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. He spent 19 years in the hard labor camps of France, escaped, made his way back into the world, hunted down, facing a sentence of life imprisonment for his escape. Eventually, evades his pursuers, makes his way to a small town, steps into some business responsibilities, takes uh, an assumed name, and though the threat of capture is always present, the threat of discovery is always there, he more or less rebuilds his life and becomes actually quite prosperous. And he's living his life apparently unperturbed, the prospect of security growing ever greater when he hears a bit of news. Jean Valjean has been arrested. Wait, that's me. I've not, wait, what? Jean Valjean, the great escaped convict who has evaded our, our capture these many years, has been arrested and will face trial in a week. They got the wrong guy. He thinks to himself. And of course, what's the first thought that comes to his mind? I can't let them imprison a, an innocent man in my place. But then another thought presents itself. If they imprison this person, they'll never look for me again. I'll be completely safe. I'll be able to enjoy the wealth that I've acquired. I'll be able to do good in the world instead of laboring in some prison, in some work camp. At last, justice will have been restored. I, who have been so, so maltreated all these many years, I'll be free. But then, of course, the truth comes back. 
How could I let someone suffer on my account for something that they never did? How could I build my freedom and security on the suffering of another human being? And so Valjean, after many nights in agony, shows up at the trial. And when it's time to sentence this man who's innocent of the crimes for which he's being charged, Valjean stands up and says, I am the man you're looking for. Thus condemning himself to many more years of suffering and injustice. But you see, that's what fortitude does. The difficulty facing Valjean in that moment presents to him the truth of the matter. And he doesn't waver. He doesn't turn aside. He doesn't allow sin and his fear of the future to enslave him. He is a free man, truly, when he stands up and says, I am the real Valjean. That's the work of fortitude. That's what it means to drink the same cup that Jesus has drank. We, you and I, the disciples of Jesus, ask for that same privilege. Perhaps not in such dramatic ways. Not in these life-changing circumstances that, in which our future hangs. But in the little decisions of every day. We need fortitude on a daily basis. Not simply in these grand gestures of heroic virtue. But the decision day in and day out to persevere in faithfulness to God, even when our fears try to persuade us to turn aside, to seek, to seek some kind of escape or relief in sin, which we know will never be an escape. It will never relieve us. It will never bring us happiness. That's a lie. We pray today and every day, approaching confidently the throne of grace, for this gift of God's mercy, the fortitude, if it be his will, to bear with our sufferings, to bear through these difficulties, faithful to him, tranquil of heart, confident that his grace is timely help indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.